Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Creative Income Podcast. I am your host, Lars Lindstrom, and am I happy to be here? You betcha. You betcha. I'm happy to be here. Why? Because we have a returning guest for the first time on the Creative Income Podcast. Oren Sofer is going to be the first guest to come back and grace us with his presence a second time. Uh, Oren, the first time he was on the podcast, um, I referred to him (laughs) mistakenly as the second unit cinematographer for The Creator. Uh, the movie that came out um, late last year. And in reality, he was a co-cinematographer to Greg Frazier. But more than that, he was on set for 80 of the 90 days as the sole cinematographer. Uh, Of course, he and Greg prepped the movie together. And Greg was involved very much every step of the way. But on the uh, boots on the ground, it was Orin in Thailand. So um, we talk a lot about that. And we talk a lot about um, how it's changed uh, his his life, or not changed his life. That seems to be the theme, right? So everybody's everybody's striving to get the next big thing, um, but often we're finding out, you know, it's just unless you're Roger Deakins or Greg Frazier, I guess, uh, you know, there's a lot of ladder to climb. So let's jump into the episode, and we will recap at the end. Oren, thank you so much for being here again. I uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. A lot's changed. Uh, since we last spoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we've been through a little something, a thing or two, but uh, um, yeah, this will be fun to kind of loop back around and close loop the back. loop from our first conversation. That's right. So yeah. our, our first conversation, I and I don't know if it was just ignorance on my part, but I, I referred to you as the second unit DP for the upcoming movie, The Creator. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. I don't know if you if you remember that, but I was... I, 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 I did not remember. I thought you were the second unit DP. I had no idea that you were not only co-DPs, but I think you were pretty much on the ground as the sole DP for the majority of the film. Is that right? I, I, I was. That's accurate. How, yeah. how often was Greg on set? Mm. Um, we were on set together in London for okay. our Pinewood shoot, which was at the end of the film. All right. What, um, what locations was the Pinewood portion? The Pinewood portion was pretty much entirely um, stuff from the third act. So we had a combination of – we had one week of virtual production there, which was two sets. It was Mm. the um, escape pod airlock, Mm. as as it's referred to, and the biosphere, uh, which is the big kind of grassy um, farm, indoor farm, like space station area. On the Nomad. At the end, on Nomad. Um, and then we also had a traditional process stage set up where we did stuff that was not virtual production. So we had traditional kind of partial set builds hmm. surrounded by gray screen that we would light green or blue, depending on what background we needed, or sometimes gray. Hmm. And that was all stuff that was like nomad exterior, John David climbing on the superstructure, um, Alfie's re-entry. Uh, in the escape pod, we had a little escape pod set, hmm. um, a bunch of stuff in the back of the um, airplane, like when the guys get sucked out, all of that was yeah. on that stage with with stunts. Fun. So yeah, a bit of a hodgepodge of things. The final shot of the, the reverse of the final shot of Alfie, we shot the, her face on location in a quarry oh. in 
outside of Bangkok. That's the final shot of the movie. And we shot that very early in the schedule. And then one of the last things that we shot was on stage in Pinewood. It was a reverse shot of her climbing out of the escape pod. Ah. So that was against green screen. Full circle. <laughs> yeah, because we knew that we would put uh, this kind of Indonesian um, volcanic landscape outside in the background. So yeah, that was uh, one of the first things we shot, one of the last things that we shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Talk to me about the process of booking this job. So I think at this point you had uh, had Greg as a mentor of sorts. Um, I think we talked a little bit about that on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, how did this come about? How did this happen? This came about the same way that some of my other um, little Greg jobs had came about, which was I met Greg in 2016, 2017, I think. And we had kept in touch since then. And every once in a while, he would just call me for an odd job. So I did a day on Vice in post, oh, coming fun. in and shooting some additional material. Uh, this was uncredited, obviously. You know, I was just happy to, to, yeah. to, to be there, be a part of it. Um, on The Mandalorian, also uncredited, I came in during prep and shot a bunch of virtual production um, previs for the first two episodes. Uh, so that was during prep. And then this was uh, – there were a few others, some things that I couldn't do throughout the, over the years. And then the call for this came in and it was you know definitely a step up from the last couple of sort of smaller day here, wow. day there – Things that I had done. I mean, I did a month on on Mandalorian, oh, wow. and then this was, um, you know, hey, you want to? Like he laid out the whole pitch: um, Gareth Edwards, new movie, indie, guerrilla style, Thailand, on location, um, super small crew, FX three. Gareth's operating the camera, and we will co DP. Uh, I, you know, Greg. Greg would not be able to be on set in Thailand. I'm going to be on set in Thailand, but we're all going to collaborate and communicate all throughout. So yeah, it was just a phone call that I got when I was in the middle of another film, actually. Um, I got a call at lunch from Greg. And uh, that was it. I mean, it, a few months later, I was in Thailand, so it was quite quick. Wow. So what was the yeah. what was the prep process like? Well, most of the prep was was on the ground. So that was why it was like, we just need to get you to Thailand because Gareth, production designer, um, you know, the other department heads, they're already there. They had, they had already started hard prep. Wow. But we did a few, uh, quite a few zoom calls beforehand, like in the weeks leading up to it, just the three of us, Greg and Gareth and myself, just starting to kind of discuss, Um, well, really catching me up on everything that Greg and Gareth had been discussing about this project, which was over a period of a few years, honestly, on and off. Um, But it it really ramped up earlier that year, which this was 2021 at this point, so fall 2021. And so I had a lot of catching up to do, but um, it was great to be able to just converse, the three of us, and, and hear directly from them and be more a part of these, I guess, like, hypothetical conversations as opposed to just diving into brass tacks. Like it was good to just understand the philosophy behind the approach, um, which was quite unique as I'm sure people are aware of by this point. And um, are you, are you sick of of talking about it yet? No, no, I love talking about it. (laughs) It's, you know, it's just, it's interesting and there's always something new, 
the funny thing is like, there's, there's still stuff I feel like we haven't talked about. Oh, good. Um, Let's get into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'd have to kind of make a list, but <laughs> the, the way to do it would be like, we need to do a live commentary track that goes scene by scene of the movie. And then we would bump into things that yeah. we had never mentioned before. Like it's hard to just conjure it up from memory. Cause of at course. this point, we have covered a bunch of stuff, but like, for example, the shot deck shot talk that we did, like we talked about stuff that we hadn't talked about on, on any other um, podcast. podcast or venue, yeah. because I think that was the point. Like we were sort of like, what can we, what can we talk about? We haven't talked about yet. So, yeah. and there's still more, but anyway, um, yeah, so that was it. And then I got to Thailand and we had a four month prep on the ground. So wow. most of the prep was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was mostly location scouting. Um, we had a lot of locations on the yeah. film, yeah. but, uh, we would do a lot of prep in between the scouts. Like, um, well, basically we had a home base in Bangkok that was our production office, but it wasn't really an office. It was a giant warehouse space, which was mm. amazing. Mm. It had offices upstairs, but downstairs were, um, the costumes department, production design and, and camera and lighting. And we each had like a corner of this giant warehouse space. I mean, art department had most of the space. I'm sure. Yeah. Costumes had a smaller, but still significant space. And then camera and lighting, we had a little room, <laughs> but <laughs> it was all we need because we didn't have a lot of equipment. So it was kind of our little workshop. Like that's where we were building the different rigs and ordering new parts as we were kind of um, experimenting and workshopping the rigs. Um, can I testing can out lighting? The, yeah. rigs. The, the rig that was most unique to me was the shoulder mount DJI mm. stabilizer. Was that is yeah. that something that who came up with that? Because I've never seen that before. Yeah, it was um Greg and Gareth had come up with that. I think it was Gareth's idea initially. And mm. it started from Gareth had done the location, the initial location scout with um with one of those handheld gimbals. I think it was not the RS2, because it was this was a few years ago, but uh-huh. it was something, it was that same style. I think it's called a lollipop gimbal uh-huh. yeah. you just hold it in your hand and it's just, there's a stick and then there's the gimbal on top and the camera sits up here. Yeah. And Gareth was like, okay, well this is obviously a really stupid way to make a movie, uh-huh. but like uh-huh. what happens if you go like this, uh-huh. just turn it sideways and then actually take the lollipop part and just tuck it under your arm. Uh-huh. And then he's like, oh, there's something here. Like, so now the gimbal is, it's technically facing up. Like the camera is looking straight up, but when you tilt it 90 degrees, it's facing forward. Mm-hmm. And if the if that part of the gimbal is back here and you're sort of holding it, now it was like, okay, well, now if I had handles, <laughs> I could attach them to the front of this thing and operate it like a handheld rig, but I would, but it would have a gimbal built into it. So yeah. that was the germ of the idea. And then it was like, okay, well, by the time it came time to, to workshop this, which was 2021. Um, the RS2 was out. So they, I think I'd identified that that would be the hero gimbal. This was all before I came on board. Mm. And then they had a few sessions where they went into Keslo camera that supported the, the film um, with accessories and lenses, even though we bought most of the, the rest of the film equipment production purchased it, but yeah, makes sense. There's still, yeah, there's still quite a bit that um, Keslo provided, but so they went in and, and workshopped it um, and they built a prototype basically out of parts uh, <laughs> at Kes- that were lying around at Kessel, like Greg, Gareth, uh, Greg's uh, LA first AC, I, I'm pretty sure. And they shot some tests with it. 
So that's where it started. And then we basically had photos of that test, like that proof of concept of the rig, mm-hmm. like really thorough documentation of what it was and what were the parts in it and how they, how they put it together at Keslo. And then we were sort of tasked with like, okay, well, we need to rebuild it um, in, in Thailand, but we can order our own parts. Like we don't just have to be limited by what is available at Keslo. We can really kind of build this thing from the ground up. So we had the, the, the blueprint, but then it was like, all right, so these, these spider grips, what's like the lightest weight version of that that we can find? And what are the light, lightest weight rosettes and connections? And we wanted it to be modular and adjustable. So we found these, um, I think they're called Condor Blue. Yeah. They're like a little quick release rosette uh-huh. that allows you to like push a little button and then adjust the angle of a handle or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. so we built those into it and we found the L bracket and we found the shoulder pad and we found all the different parts. And it sort of came together over like a month, months long process of we would order parts from B&H. Every like couple of weeks, we would get a big shipment in Thailand of like all the <laughs> new stuff that not just us, like production design and all the other departments were ordering stuff from the UK or wherever. And it would it would come in or from Japan. Um, and we'd get these shipments and they would just show up on a pallet and we would then have to like <laughs> unpack things. <laughs> this, this, is yours, this is mine. This is, yeah. Yeah, per- <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So it was, that was part of the fun. And mm. and because we're all sharing the same work, we're, um, warehouse space, like it was, it was all, it was all in the same place. And um, so it was great. We got our camera team on and our lighting team on very early. So they had long prep and they were able to really come in and tinker and, 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 build and work on this stuff, especially as we started scouting. We had our gaffer on really early. I mean, I think he had two months of prep. So he joined us like halfway through the scouts. By that point, they were not location scouts anymore. They were tech scouts because we were bringing the the rest of the crew. Was your your uh, gaffer uh, from Thailand or did you bring? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Local. But um, he grew up kind of half in the U.S. and studied here. So um it was uh, it was really a godsend. Pitai is his name, and mm-hmm. and because uh, uh, he was like total conduit to the crew, knew all the Thai crew, can speak Thai with them, but fluent in English and yeah. and very plugged into. Like he had actually come off of um, he did seven months as an electric on Killers of the Flower Moon oh, before wow. he came onto our project. Cool. Yeah, so he had like just got back from Oklahoma and then started on this, which was really cool. And he's actually a DP. So he's predominantly a DP in, in Thailand, but I really admire this. He basically said like, you know what? I want to really level up as a DP. Uh, so I'm going to go learn from like some great DPs and, and just put myself in a position where I can get on these huge sets and just like really learn and then come back to DPing after that. So he did Killers of the Flower Moon and then he did our shoot. Um, and yeah, so it's, it was really cool. And now he knows Greg and Rodrigo and <laughs> all these guys. So it's great. I mean, yeah, it's just the, Ian Kincaid, the gaffer on, uh, on, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. So anyway, yeah. yeah Lucky guy, but smart, smart guy. Smart it's not guy, luck. Yeah. It was smart because, yeah. Cause I feel like it, I, I, I can't think of a single DP that I know, including myself who would do that, who would like, I'm going to pause my career. And go be a gaffer to some incredible DPs to exactly yeah. yeah well and on on killers he wasn't the gaffer he was just oh, a spark yeah yeah you're right yeah so that's yeah. even more like I'm just I'm going to really 
this, this requires kind of a humbling, like it requires a, um, you know, an egoless and ego death, which I think is incredible. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, it was, I mean, the, 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 the amount that you can learn from that kind of experience is just remarkable. So anyway, yeah. yes. Uh, where, where are we? So, uh, so let's, I, I, yeah, prep. Okay. We're yeah. in prep. That's right. So yeah. Had, so this is basically it. I mean, we're basically for four months bouncing between, um, our warehouse production office in Bangkok, where we're testing things, testing lighting, tinkering with the rig, testing, doing test shoots in the warehouse with props, costumes, testing the workflow, the shooting style, like all of it and scouting. And the scouts sometimes would take three days. Like, you know, you, you're, it's a plane ride and then a, and then a five hour van ride just to get to a location. Yeah. So some specific location scouts would take multiple days and then we're just doing other prep work on the way. Like we got, we all got very good at working on our laptops in, in a moving van. Oh, not me. Not, not uh, well, oh I, man. Oh, I get so what? sick. I, I usually <laughs> get sick. Like I, I can't yeah. do that, but somehow, I don't know. There's something about these vans in, in Thailand, the production <laughs> vans. Anyone who's worked in Thailand is familiar with it. Like I think they're all the same. They just have this like fleet of yeah. it's very specific and each driver kind of customizes their van. So they all have like different snacks and <laughs> decorations on the inside. Like some of them are quite elaborate, like lighting and LEDs. It's like really cool. Fun. Um, but yeah, we all had to kind of get used to that and mm. uh, get over our car sickness, which, which we did. And uh, yeah, just a lot of like, just trying to be thorough and go scene by scene and really look at references and understand what do we have to do in each location to kind of make it sing and make it work. And um, uh, Greg's involved in all of this. He's just not there physically, but you know, so we, are you taking, talk are you taking stills day. with the FX three and sending it to Greg on the oh, daily we're taking video yeah, video? We're taking video. video. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. shooting with the FX three on every location scout everywhere we go. And we're starting to fish for, angles uh-huh. in each location like what looks good what's our hero direction where do we yeah. need to curate and then gareth would pull stills from that footage uh-huh. at the end of every scout day sitting in the van just pulling stills and during your prep are you also bringing yeah. lights as well yes. are you and and these are maybe battery power leds yes. gotcha so so we're doing exactly some like dmg lights some titan tubes some like not even the yeah. titan tubes like we oh, had yeah. really like cheap LEDs that you could buy on Amazon, like really, really cheap stuff that, that was super lightweight. I mean, they felt like plastic toys, but well, this was just for the, for the scouts. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah, for the tests. Yeah. But it was starting to figure out like, Oh, Hey, you know, we could put a light here. Like we can put a light here. Like this looks good. This looks good. It was all invaluable because every single one of those things that we did contributed to the final look. I loved the final look. It's such a, it's such a unique look too, because it's, it feels almost like, I mean, it's a sci-fi movie so that you've got lots of like under lights and some color mixing, but then you also, um, it almost feels like a period piece in some ways. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yes. it's like, so you've got this very naturalistic approach, but then there's the sci-fi elements, you know, where it's like all of a sudden there's this underlight that's like so classic to sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I love that. I love the, the color mixing and the underlight. But uh, I'm but kind of very rocking natural. the yeah. underlight right now. But Oh, yeah, yeah. And no, I love it. Now I can't light yeah. a movie without it. I'm like, it's such a nice technique. I love it. Just, you know what it is yeah. about it? This is what we found this in testing. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously other people have figured this out before. It's just we had to kind of work our way towards it. It feels very naturalistic huh. under light. Like okay. unless you're unless you're doing this, unless you're doing like 
uh-huh. you know, light source, which we weren't doing. What we were doing right. was we would bounce our light source off of the ground. Oh. And what oh. that does is it just like, it just makes the light feel really like environmental. Like it just feels like it's coming from the environment because yeah. when you step into a space, like no artificial lighting, like when you step into a room that has light coming in through a window, it's bouncing off the floor. Sure. So it's, you're, you're always, all, almost all that always, color mixing, all that that's happening naturally. It's very organic. Just kind yes. of, it just, yeah, and you're almost gem. always getting a little underlight, like mm-hmm. in a situation like that. And so we just found that when we did that, like when we would put a light source here, it looked like a source. Mm-hmm. And when you bounce it off of the ground, it just feels like it's coming off of the environment and it just feels very naturalistic. So mm-hmm. we just started doing that all the time. What was your go-to light for bouncing off the ground? Helios tube in a little DOP choice snap bag. Yeah. Wild. And it was on a boom pole, but eventually we would abandon <laughs> the boom pole. Nancy, our best electric, would kind of just hold it in her hand. Like it had a little yoke in the back that was just like a little handle. So she would just hold it. And are you doing basically 12,800 ISO throughout the whole film on these cameras? Except for day exteriors. Okay. Yes. And what would you do for day exteriors? Like more like 640. A, 640, okay. Which is the other base ISO, quote sure. unquote, on the sure. camera. Yeah. Such a cool look, man. It's, yeah, we, I watched it again yeah. last night. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's I mean, really, it's, some yeah. of those, those night, those night exteriors, I was just going, I mean, how, how, what was, what was the size of your genie team? Um, the base size of the genie team was five. Five. Sorry. Nine. It was five oh, okay, electrics okay. and four, and four grips. grips. Okay. But right. we would we would expand <laughs> when we had a bigger setup. So like the night exteriors, we we day played people. Okay, gotcha. Because well, we had and, some lights and lifts and we had people up in the lifts. So it was That was yeah. my question. Cause I was like, I, I saw some of the behind the scenes stuff and I'm going, that is a very small genie team. And you had some massive night exterior sets. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was like, uh, like M nineties and lifts or something, or what, what was your go-to light for some of that stuff? A- Aperture 1200 D. You could. Yes. And yeah. they were dimmed down. Da- they were dimmed down and they were, were they like 500 feet away? Just like just mm-hmm. washing. And yeah. Oh, yep. that's amazing. Yep. So they're big night exteriors, but you don't need much. Yeah. You don't. When you're at that ISO, you just need a little, a little touch. And what we did in in all of those, so there were two really major ones. There's the um, area that we call the the AI lab raid. So it's all the stuff around when they come out of that hatch early in the movie. And then there's the area later in the film called that we call no man's land. It's when they go to the abandoned um, uh, hut, the cabin by the water. Mm-hmm. So those are really our two big night exteriors, and we we adopted the same approach for each of them, which is basically we had we had four um, lifts, condors with a 1200D um, aperture in each one. Actually, some of them had a couple, mm-hmm. and they were basically positioned in in any direction that you would look. Oh, cool. So, and and we would just turn off whichever one was front lit, depending uh-huh. on what direction we would look at. So we were basically set up for three hundred and sixty. Yeah. But not like you couldn't you couldn't do a three hundred and sixty degree spin. 
on this in the same shot. Right. Yeah. But depending on which direction you were looking, we were lit for that direction. And then we would turn off the ones that were behind camera. Yeah. So that it's always backlit. And did you do and, any and kind of like lit. fill close to camera, like on this boom pole that you were talking about yes. or anything like well, that? On cl- yeah. yeah. When we were in close ups, yeah. Like yeah. when we were in big wide shots, we would kind of just let that do its thing. Yeah. The, the that being the the lifts. Um and we wouldn't do any close-up lighting. So there's just a lot of silhouettes, but silhouettes look great in wide it's shots. Awesome. Yeah. But when you're in the close-up and you want to see the face, then yeah, that's where we're bouncing that little Helios tube. And oftentimes, like I said, we're just bouncing it off of the ground. And it looks <laughs> super naturalistic and like really it's subtle because it then it doesn't look like you're just putting a source on someone's face. Yeah. And it it's, just and looks like, like they're getting a little a little skip. Like yeah. it's great. Like it's bouncing off of grass and leaves. So it's, you're, you're getting all that color blend. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Or the, or the, the, yeah, the, um, the rocky, um, mm-hmm. earth and the, in the other location. So yeah, those are the two environments, but we brought the first day we did a night exterior, we day played a 4k HMI uh-huh. and we didn't use it. So, <laughs> so we sent it back and then we were like, we don't, we don't, we, that was our backup. Like that was our sort of like, well, yeah. in case the 1200s aren't enough, like we have a backup did not need it. Those 1200 D's were dimmed down to like 15, 20% or something. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at a hundred, it was quite bright. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we could have put some ND in and just shot it at those levels, but, um, you know how it is. It's like you have other, other sources in the frame that you want brighter, like pretty much any one of those scenes, there's, um, laser fire or flashlights or yeah. other light sources. Were the, was a laser fire practical? Uh, yeah, we did that with chase sequences on uh, Titan tubes and we would kind of just put them on the ground. Hmm. Like sometimes we would just hide them behind grass or rocks, like just put them in the grass. Um, cool. We also, when the, uh, in the, um, AI lab field at some point, uh, the jet copter crashes and explodes. Mm-hmm. So we did that. We did some environmental lighting for that too. I mean, obviously it's quite augmented with CG, but we did put Titan tubes in the ground doing like a fire effect. Explosion, so yeah. an explosion and then a, and then a flickering fire so that there's a little bit of a glow from the grass. And obviously then they added the flames yeah. later, um, ILM visual effects, but yeah. So we, you want that. The thing is you want that stuff to be brighter than your moonlight. Yes. Right. So in order, like flashlights and fire and all that. So in order to do that, we did have to shoot at 12,800 without ND. Mm-hmm. Let those things be bright. Let the flashlights be bright. Let the fire be bright. But then bring the moonlight, which is the 1200 like down to 30, 40% IRE. And then, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that mm-hmm. was why we did, we, we did that. Cause, cause otherwise you could definitely take the approach of saying like, well, Let's just like keep these at a hundred percent. It's it's quite bright on camera, but we'll just put NDs to kind of stop it down. But, but then you need other things to be brighter. The white light, which, to be, yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't it wouldn't have that look. So yeah. my issue with shooting such a high ISO is any practical lighting I have tends to just be out of control. What did, what uh, control or or sources did you have for the practical lighting on the sets uh, with your art team? to make sure that you had, you weren't clipping those channels? Well, we would often replace light, light bulbs and stuff on set. So mm-hmm. it's either replaced with uh, tubes, if it's a fluorescent light or um, B7C, which is the aperture, aperture. version of the um, Nix bulb. I mean, mm-hmm. all the manufacturers have a um, wireless control dimmable R- RGB light bulb that you can yeah. just put in, in practical. So yeah. 
So Aperture was kind of the MVP, it sounds like, of the shoot. Yeah, <laughs> your 12, yeah, yeah. Very, 1200 yep. Ds and your BC7s. and We had 600s, two 600X. We had um, Novas. We had MCs, which were great. I love MCs. We used a lot of yeah. MCs. Yeah. Battery powered, and you could just kind of chuck them anywhere. Uh-huh. Um, they can do simple um, pattern repetition. Like you can actually feed a video file into the app and then it plays it back on the MC. Really? It's very basic. I mean, they have like four pixels, but yeah. they can do a little bit of interactive lighting in that way. So oh, very wow. useful, very yeah. useful. Yeah. Cool. No. So I want to, I want, so this is all incredibly fascinating to me, but um, <laughs> I want to talk about uh, pre the creator coming out post mm. coming out. I want to, yeah. I want to know if your career path is looking different, if it's changed, if your life has changed, if mm-hmm. so, how, if not, how, yeah, it's changed. It, 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 the career path has changed quite a bit, but um, but also in some ways it, it, it has, I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't. Like mm-hmm. on the one hand, you know, um, obviously I'm not like suddenly hobnobbing with, um, you know, the, the, the uh, Chris <laughs> Nolan. The okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like I think, and I think that's a combination of things. Like I think the sort of muted reception of the film is, is a part of that. Mm. If there was some universe in which this really was like a huge breakout blockbuster, critically acclaimed awards, darling, that would probably be different. Like mm. I think maybe it would have gotten more attention and maybe I would be hobnobbing <laughs> with Chris Nolan. I don't know. Sure. But um, the reception was a little more muted, which is okay. I mean, it's it is what it is, mm-hmm. and um, I think in hindsight, it was maybe a little naive of us to think that it would Blow. break out further than it than it did. Um, and there were various things that contributed to that: the strike, the release date, the marketing, like a million things. But um, yeah. ultimately, within our circles of cinematography nerds, I think the film did have an impact, which is obviously very nice and on the, on a bigger career picture like it, it, it's it's a definitive feather in the cap of like I can operate at this level um and and yeah. it hasn't burst open any doors like I said like if it was a different kind of movie I mean if it was you know at the level of something like dune um it would be a little different but but the thing is is it probably never would have been like it it's 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 that's an original just film. Dune has such an audience built that's in automatically. Exactly right. it's, and, much, yeah. it's a smaller budget. It's it's a smaller marketing budget. Yeah, it's no not based on IP. It doesn't have a big sprawling cast of A-listers, yeah. um, et cetera. So it's a million different things. Um, but but it has opened up the door to projects at a studio level that yeah. were not accessible to me before. Yeah. Uh, now in terms of what kind of projects, I don't know yet because Mm. I haven't booked the next film, but we are looking like me and my, my reps have been talking and, and looking for the next project. So even that alone is like a big change from before the creator. Yeah. Because before I was on the indie feature grind, like it was just looking to kind of scrap together the next indie film, Yeah, whatever it would be either from friends, director friends. Um, you know, I still have friends who are working on trying to get their features made. And so it would have been one of those or 
through the kind of indie circuit within representation, like their, you know, agencies have access to indie projects as well and look at upcoming films, but we're still talking about stuff that's first time directors, $2 million to $4 million range at most. And, and, and these are always projects that are like still seeking financing, don't really have definitive start dates. Like it's always a bit of a hustle because, they're not surefire things. Whereas a now attached. Yeah. Yeah. With a studio attached and with financing and actors, it's usually like, no, these projects are, it's, it's more the, the, the ratio is inverse. It's like, it is the exception for a project like that to fall apart. And it does happen. Yeah. Um, but usually if something is at the point where they're hiring a DP there, then the project is kind of happening. Yeah. So it's nice and we're looking at options and there's a bunch of great stuff out there and we'll see what lands and what sticks. But um, it's definitely very um, humbling, I guess, and and very gratifying to kind of get to this point because I feel like this, this was the goal. Like this was this was the milestone was to yeah, get you to made the it. point where you made well, it yeah, well, I made it into the building. Into the building. And this is the uh, thing is it's, that's where it's sort of like everything comes in those tiers, like those milestones and those goalposts are always like, there's always another one. Yeah. So and I made ends. it into the building. It even, never ends. But even I, but even I made Roger Deakins wishes, wishes he saw it, shot Dune or something, you know, it's like, I think that's, yeah, well, that's I think, I think he turned Dune down. So actually I think oh, he, <laughs> I think he, I think he probably is glad he didn't shoot Dune. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, no, Roger. Roger is like the center of the building. He okay, is like gotcha. where you're trying to get to. Yeah, is yeah. to get to a point where you've built a lasting, successful career with a le- career. with a legacy. Yeah, with a legacy. Absolutely. And 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 he is he has built a career, thirty forty year career, of interesting, artistic, creative, cinematic quality films like that's a filmography and i think that that's that's like the end goal that's like when i'm 70 (laughs) i want to look back and say oh look i did something this film this film this film this film this film i changed i changed quality 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 yeah Yeah. it's not even about it's not even about changing the medium because i think that that's that's almost overly ambitious and maybe Mm -hmm. a little narcissistic like i don't really have that ambition okay The ambition really is, it's just, I want to build a career of integrity, of integrity of projects, quality of projects, and and just something that if I looked back on it when I was 70, I would be proud. Ah, That's the end. I love that, actually. That's that's like, now, and I'm I'm halfway there to 70 in in age. So, (laughs) you know, I have a long way to go because it's like my entire life that I've lived up until now. Starts now. I have that amount of time and I've only really been doing this professionally for 10 years. Yeah. So 35 is quite a bit, but, um, so hopefully we'll get a lot done in that time, Yeah. but you know, I am very ambitious, but Uh, yeah. Did you get any pushback from the studio when Greg brought you onto this project? No, no, it was just like, here's, here's who's going to be on the ground in Thailand. And, uh, this is it. Yes. Okay. I think they trusted Gareth ultimately. Mm-hmm. It was his call. Yeah. Okay. 
New Regency. Gareth had already seen your body of work. He had already maybe, did he call you at all before Greg called you? Yes, we talked. No, no, not before. But after Greg called me, we all hopped on a Zoom and had a lengthy conversation. Yeah. And then after that, they offered it to me. Could you let us into that room just a little bit? Uh, privy to that conversation, what what sorts of things do you think are important for DPs to say to directors like Gareth that um, that kind of like those buzzwords or what what sorts of things were said that you think ultimately made him go, I trust this guy. He's he's going to um, the project. I mean, well, at the end of the day, I think the, the the element of it that I can't speak to, I can only just say in general, is that obviously he saw something in my work. And he's talked about this. He saw something in my work that was similar enough to his taste and Greg's taste that like that was the initial thing that he was looking for was, mm-hmm. was taste alignment. And we, we happened to share the same taste. I mean, it's just, I think we've just, we all grew up with the same movies. We're inspired by the same things. I've obviously been inspired by Greg's work for years. So yeah. I think at the base level, that's what Gareth and Greg both were responding to initially. And that's something you can't calculate. Like that's just taste alignment. And I think it's very important, by the way. Taste alignment is very important for a fruitful collaboration with any director. And I think it's, I think that's, but but I think that it's important to stay true to yourself, like stay true to your taste. Um, Because if you find yourself misaligned with a director on what they want and how they, how they see things and what they like, you're going to run into trouble on set. And I've been in those situations before with other directors and it's yeah. tough Yeah. Um, when there's a taste misalignment. So at the first base level, there's a taste alignment and, and Gareth is just very good and attuned to looking for that stuff. In terms of the conversation, this sounds a little glib, but really it's like you kind of just need to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. But you have to mean it. Okay. That's the key is you have to mean it. So you can't just sit there and be fake Mm -hmm. and just say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Whatever you want. Yeah. FX3. It's my favorite camera on the planet. Yeah. It looks like that's, I want to shoot nothing but FX3 for the rest of my life. Exactly. That's That's not going to fly. That's not going to fly because it has to be genuine. And with this, with this project and the unique approach, not just the camera, but just the whole approach of the filmmaking process, they needed somebody who was genuinely on board with it. Yeah. You know, and would not let ego get in the way mm-hmm. of needing to assert oneself, pushing back on things. Like they needed somebody who would hop in a raft that is already going down a, a category five rapid and and see that and just be like, yeah, that looks fun. As opposed to, oh, I don't know, it's risky. And what if I do? What if this? What if something goes wrong? What if I fall yeah. out? Yeah, they just needed someone who would. Yeah, yeah. They just needed someone who would jump in the raft and 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 join the paddling. <laughs> and 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 from my position, like obviously it, the answer was yes. So it was very genuine for me because it was you know like what an opportunity and what what a what a, what an adventure, like I, you know, the, uh, to be able to work on a film like this, the imagery, the scale, the scope, the world building sci-fi, like I've been a sci-fi geek my whole life. And, you know, to be able to make a film like this is still crazy to me that I was a part of it. And then of course, Greg and Gareth, like, how could you possibly say no? So my, my answers were genuine because it was like, I would, I would do anything and go with anything 
to be a part of this. Yeah. And that was genuine, you know, like, and even if I had trepidations, like it doesn't, it didn't matter. And also we all did. That was sort of the point. Like everybody was very honest about, even in that conversation, Greg and Gareth, like, look, it's risky. And, and, and there's parts of this that might not work and we're going to have to figure it out together. But I just, I was like, great. I'm like, I'm on board with that. I'm in. I love it. That's what the, that's what they wanted to hear, but also that's genuinely how I felt. So it that's that's the answer to that question is like in that position. All I th- I think all you can really do is just be honest. Hmm. Um, yeah, and people feel it. They'll they'll know whether you're yes, not, you're being genuine. Yes, yeah, yes. And if and if there's something that that doesn't align, then it's not going to be a good collaboration anyway. So it's not something that you should be like fighting for. Still be I honest think. about it. If there's, if there's something that you don't feel aligned with, yeah. would you still be honest? And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but ultimately it's going to be best for everybody. I think so. Like, I think, I think especially on this project, like they really needed people to be honest about whether or not they were up for it. Mm-hmm. How many you shooting know? days did it end up being? 90. 90 days. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was not part of 10 of them. The, okay. the, the final 10 days. Oh, okay. So well, I, yeah. I did 80 days, but they, um, uh, after we wrapped, Gareth went with the two lead actors and a truly teeny tiny crew. I mean, we're talking five people total um, to Nepal, Indonesia, Tokyo. Was it like all those flashback, flashbacky type moments of them? <clears throat> no? What was we, that? We shot, we shot a lot of those in Thailand. Okay. It's, 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 it's random bits and shots that are cut throughout the film. Interesting. Fascinating. That, that you wouldn't necessarily notice because mm. it's like parts of montages, um, parts of other scenes that were shot on, in Thailand and matched to an existing location in Nepal, but then they actually went to the location in Nepal to get some additional shots. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a mix of, it's usually footage. There's a little bit of footage with the two of them, but it's a lot of documentary style footage that's cool. in there. That's like villagers and real people and stuff like that. Like, that a lot of that was captured on this little travelogue portion of the shoot that they did at the end where they hopped yeah. around these countries. And, um, yeah, they had their official wrap in Tokyo with like just the five of them <laughs> really, really small. And, and Madeline, um, got to shave Gareth's head, which was his promise to her at the start of the shoot. Cause she had to shave her head. Yeah. She was seven years oh, old and this is like tragic. potentially quite yeah traumatizing for a child, but yeah, she was brave and she did it. And obviously once it's done, then you're, 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 you know, it's already done. Yeah. But the, she, the way that Gareth convinced her was, yeah, he told her that at the end of the shoot, you can shave my head as a revenge. Yes. And she never forgot. She would not let him forget. Uh-huh. It was like, Oh, 10 more days and I get to shave your head. Like yeah. it was, look, I've got, was, I've got a seven year old as well. So I, I yeah. very much understand <laughs> But yeah. They do not she forget. She was counting it down. Nope. Like that, yeah. nope. She did not oh. forget for for f- four months. She did not yep. forget. And then at the end, she got her wish. And I've never seen her more like maniacally happy. <laughs> as this, this video that exists of her just like gleefully, almost wickedly wielding the clippers, like <laughs> and, and doing it. Yeah. Oh, I think that amazing. was the catharsis at the end of the shoot that she really needed. Yeah. Here's here's my last question for it. you. You've had Greg as a mentor. Uh, for years now, mm. what did, what advice? Cause I think uh, having a mentor is 
I think for people that want to level up or, or eventually be doing these studio films, kind of paramount. I think it's a very important thing to do. Uh, what advice do you have for uh, young cinematographers or other creatives to uh, curate those mentorships? <clears throat> I um, I wish I had a satisfying answer for this, mm. but um, my answer is a little unsatisfying, but hopefully still helpful. And my answer is that um, mentorship is sort of like, I mean, it's very much like a romantic relationship. Hmm. It's you. It's something you can't force. It's like if there's chemistry, and it and it happens organically, and you just you happen to meet someone, and they they are further ahead in their career, and they take a liking to you and your work, and a relationship, a, a you know, friendship, a, a personal relationship blossoms from that. And they sort of start to help you out and invite you to things and this and that. You can't, you cannot force the circumstances of that to happen. Yeah. It, it has to happen organically on its own. I never sought out a mentor. Hmm. I, um, I, I had zero connections to the film industry. I grew up in the Middle East, halfway around the world. I had no connections to Hollywood. I didn't know anybody in the industry. I went to NYU film school, not knowing anybody. Um, and I went through the first part of my career, just assuming that, oh, uh, well, I'm just going to have to find my own way because I don't know anybody. And that's not to say that I didn't take active steps to meet people, which I think is maybe the key thing is like, you can't just, like a relationship, you know, you can't just a uh, romantic relationship. You can't just sit around at home right, and expect somebody to just drop out of the sky and be in love with you. Yeah. You have to put yourself out there. Uh -huh. You have to put yourself in front of people. You have to meet people. But in the process of putting yourself out there and meeting people, a, a mentorship is something that grows organically. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do think that that, that is an important component is like, putting yourself out, putting your work out there, reaching out to people, meeting people, going to events, going to the ASC open house, going to mixers, going to Sundance, going to whatever. And you just meet so many people throughout those processes. Yeah. And uh, so I never sought out a mentor. I was just like, look, I'm, I don't know anybody. I'm always just going to put myself out there and I'm always going to meet people and I'm always going to reach out and then have zero expectations of anything to, that would come from any of these relationships. And that goes for mentorship, that goes for friendships with other cinematographers, colleagues, crew, director relationships, producers, co like collaborators, everything. This whole industry is just about who you, who you know, but not who you know in advance. It's like you can, you can meet people, but it is an industry of relationships. And so knowing that, or I guess like, I was like, well, this is one thing I do have control over. I have two things that are in my control. I can control what work I put out into the world. I can curate my website, my reel, my social media, et cetera. That's one thing. And then the other thing I have control over is what do I do with my time? Like who do I, how do I spend my time? Who do I reach out to? Where do I go? What do I do? Um, how active am I socially within the film industry? Like I have control over that. Um, and now the, I cannot control how people respond to that, but I can control what I do with myself and yeah, like meeting Greg at meeting Greg and, and, um, our, our 
working relationship and collaboration was really something that blossomed organically. Like, yeah. you know, I never signed a mentorship contract. Like <laughs> it was um, just something that built up over years. And like, sometimes, you know, a year would go by and I wouldn't hear from him. Oh, wow. Um, and then, and then I would, I would randomly hear from him and I would periodically check in and sometimes he wouldn't respond and sometimes he would respond. Like, it's just mm -hmm. one of those things. And it took, it was years and years. Like I said, I mean, I met him in 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, so it's been quite a while and yeah, so it's, it's something that, yeah, it, it's lovely. I mean, a mentorship is an amazing thing, but there, and there, by the way, there are organized mentorship opportunities, but people's sure. mileage varies with them because it's sort of the same thing. Like all of those things can do really is just create a circumstance where you meet somebody, but that doesn't mean that you're going to hit it off. So right. The relationship's it, 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 not there automatically. Yeah. No, no. And, and so that's something that sort of just has to really happen organically and on its own. And it's not something that I think anybody can calculate really. You're like actively seek out unfortunately, because it's just one of those things that's out of your control. The yeah. way that people react to you, your work, your personality, your work ethic is not within your control. So you sort of just have to surrender to that fact and just focus on yourself, your own work, putting, but, but also being active about putting yourself out there and meeting people and then see what sticks basically. But yeah, that's that again, I would say that maybe my top line piece of advice for this is the same thing as the what when you're talking to a director about a project thing is that at the end of the day you kind of just have to be true to yourself just and honest you. yeah and you have to be you and you sort of have to be unapologetically you because mm -hmm. if you try to calculate and you try to do something fake people just see through that and like nobody likes that nobody responds well to that so like that's the one thing that's within your control is how you how you carry yourself and how you put yourself out there in the industry, both in terms of your work, but also you as a person and as a collaborator. And yeah, I think you just have to be true to yourself. Oren, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think we'll end it there because I just I, I can't think of any <laughs> I can't think of any other question that would uh, elicit a different like piece of. Uh, information that was more valuable than that. Yeah, it's perfect. So, it's like it's like the um, motivational poster quote <laughs> yes. version of Be an ending. Yourself, and I, and so, I love yeah, it. Yeah. But just just believe in yourself. Yes. <laughs> or what is it? The little cat. Yes. Like, hang in there. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds like that sometimes, but you know, I'm like I genuinely mean it, even though it sounds corny. Yeah, hang in there, guys. But, yeah, like hang in there, be yourself. <laughs> One day you'll be a lion. Don't you worry, little cat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, right. this was great, man. Thanks for having me great. back on. Oh, yeah. of course, anytime. All right, have a good have a good rest of your day. Cool. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Ooh, boy. Thank you so much for sticking around. I loved this episode. I loved the first one too. I uh, man, I was just happy to to pin him down again for another. 45 minutes. Um, if you could do me a favor, a huge solid, if you're getting anything out of the podcast, I know you've already finished the episode, so I've, I've probably lost most of my audience by this point, but if you're still listening, please share the podcast on your social media or talk to a friend about it. Um, word of mouth, of course, is the best type of growth, and uh, I'm having a great time doing it. I want to continue doing it. I want to get up to the, the numbers, though, where it starts to be like, you know what, if I if I wanted uh, advertising, if I wanted to monetize the podcast in some way, um, I could. 
Um, so that's that's my goal ultimately, of course, is as well as meeting wonderful new people um, to interview. So please share the podcast. Uh, follow me on Instagram, either the Creative Income Podcast or J Lars L, my personal page. I've been posting a lot of filmmaking stuff on that uh, lately. Um, go check it out. Comment, like it. All right. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>